All right, so, yeah, as we are um, finishing, checking through Galatians, we are in Galatians chapter 4. Now, as many of you guys have presented and also understand, the message of Galatians seems to almost be like it's one key on the piano or one chord, just the same sound each week. And that's really what it is. Paul is emphasizing to those in Galatia the importance of understanding God's grace. Because if we don't understand God's grace, then we start to live into these weird ideologies of human-made um, religions or servitude towards God. And what those in Galatia began to do is they started to believe the teaching of the Judaizers. And if you turn my mic down just a little bit, please. So they, they started to believe the teachings of the Judaizers. So now they're pursuing works as a way to bring honor to God. So Paul last week told the Galatians that they needed to move past the elemental things of the world. And we looked at Colossians 2 as a reference of the elemental things. Now, what I recognized is through study even greater this week is I missed an opportunity last week to have a real preachy moment. I don't see many preachy moments this week, meaning I don't see like these moments to where we're going to be highly encouraged. I mean, we're going to be encouraged, but it's not preachy. It's going to be more teachy. Nevertheless, I'm going to take a preachy moment from last week and take it right now because I missed it. So Colossians 2 was a reference that we brought up last week because Paul said, hey, those in Galatia, I need you to move past the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And what he was really saying is, you need to start eating meat. You need to start operating at greater levels of your walk. And here's what Colossians 2 said. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And what Paul was doing in Colossians is he was addressing the elemental spiritual forces. And what he's addressing here is this idea of karma. See, Paul was addressing karma because karma actually is in all of us. We, we play this, you know, we probably don't say, well, I follow karma, but hidden within all of us, there's this idea of karma. I know within my household, if uh, the Buckeyes throw an interception or look like they're going to lose, guess what we say? Move your seat. Change your seats. Anyone else ever cha change their seats? Or how about this? How many of you guys wear the same shirt to the football game or a baseball game because it's your lucky shirt. Anyone ever do that? Or you wear the same shirt during a football game. There's karma within all of us. And what Paul was doing, what Paul was teaching um, in Colossians was this, is do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This was an elemental thing that they were doing. And they saying you need to move past that because what you're actually living into is karma. Now, essentially, what many of us have unintentionally lived by is karma. And in the old world and today, the hidden rule is you get what you deserve. 
That's what karma is. And that's what Paul is preaching against, that you get what you deserve. So, so you handle something. So what Paul's saying is, look, so if you handle something that you weren't supposed to handle, what happens? Well, karma will get you. Or if you taste something that you were not supposed to taste, what's going to happen? Karma will get you. If you touch something that you were not supposed to touch, karma will get you. You guys understand karma, right? We understand that if you wrong someone, that there's this idea that karma will catch you. And Paul is addressing that. And that was an idea that he's saying, look, move past these elemental things because karma is not such things when it comes to Christ. Amen? Or essentially, some of us try to work for good karma. So if you do good, then good karma will come your way. So if you pay it forward, then eventually something good will happen your way. If you open up a door for someone, then eventually something good will happen your way. And within all of us, there has been or there is currently this idea of karma, which is an elemental spiritual force of the world that Paul is saying it's time to move past because Jesus has come. And since Jesus has come, we no longer get what we deserve. Amen? What Paul is trying to help those in Galatia understand is that this type of attitude is completely missing the mark. That when the fullness of time had come, which we learned about last week, which was Jesus, all of our old living had died. The law even died with Christ. We now need to move past the elemental things of the world, such as getting what we deserve. Now, what are, we, what are we moved into? And why can we move past it? Because Jesus has come. Because Jesus has come, we don't get what we deserve. And all of Galatia is essentially the same note, right? The same tune. Because Paul repeats time after time that Jesus came so that we don't get what we deserve. His grace is more than enough. Amen? So that's what Paul is helping those in Galatia understand. We have to move past this idea that we can, if we do something good, that that's going to make God accept us better or quicker into heaven. There's no karma when it comes to Christ. So now, um, the same tune, the same note today as we continue in Galatians chapter 4 is how do we break this, this idea of re religiosity, legalism within our hearts? Because karma can create legalism, and karma is from the pit of hell, right? It's, it's not the case. It's not the scenario. But what ends up happening is we can be, become legalistic because um, we think that we can please God. We think that we can earn our way to heaven. So we start doing things we don't want to do. We begrudgedly put money in the plate. And that's one of the reasons why we quit passing the plate here at the church is because we recognize that for some people it became a burnt offering. It became legalistic from the standpoint of the plate is here, I better put something in it. If not, I'll be embarrassed. 
Anyone ever put something in the plate because there was pressure of the usher? No one. Come on now. I put something in the plate. Or at least you do the fake put in. Anyone ever fake put in? You're a liar. You reach in the pocket, act like you're getting something. Nevertheless, we become legalistic because we think, well, if I don't give God money, he's going to be mad at me. Or if I don't volunteer at the church, God's going to be mad at me. What we figured out is this, is what we want here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship is not uh, big numbers of people. We want big people in Christ. Amen? So worshipers and givers and servants are going to find ways to worship, to give, and to serve. So giving here at the church, giving to Christ, trusting Christ, is about your attitude of worship towards him. So we put boxes at the back of the room, and we don't have plates out, and we don't pass them, because here's what we know. Worshipers are going to find ways to worship God. Those who desire to be obedient are going to find ways to be obedient. Amen? So if you don't know where to tithe here, you should start asking, how can you tithe at the church? Nevertheless, it becomes legalistic. Worship can become legalistic. Why? Because we're trying to earn our way to heaven. We're trying to please God by our ways rather than his ways. So the same note today, Galatians 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Paul here is summarizing what we have been learning. He's already taught that faith alone unites us and the Galatians with God through Jesus. Paul has used the Old Testament to teach this, right? So he said, look, it wasn't just when Jesus came, but we can find that it's faith alone through Moses and through Abraham. Paul has revealed that the law cannot save us, but the law is here to convict us, guard us, reveal our need for a Savior, and send us to Christ. Paul has explained that we are neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and such distinctions do not matter any longer. Why? Because we are all united in Christ. Paul then shares that we are all slaves under the law to the elemental things of the world until a time. Yet when Christ came and died and resurrected the grave, the law was fulfilled. The time had fully come. And we now can be adopted into his family as sons only and solely because of God according to his will. Amen? Now I want to make sure that we continually see that grace doesn't mean permissing. We often get that confused. We often think that grace, if, if we preach grace, then that means that we're saying, hey, go live however you want. And we think if we say, hey, uh, there's, there's laws and there's rules that we're not preaching grace. And I always think there's this balance that continually serves as the guardian as well, right? Nevertheless, um, grace does not mean permissing. Paul, in the next couple 
verses is going to come with a strong rebuke to those in Galatia because he has taught them the truths about Jesus, yet they are significantly failing at applying them. So in grace, there is also rebuking. Grace doesn't mean lesson, lessening a standard. So Paul is letting us know that we are not a slave to religion. See, the, Paul often in his letters, he's, um, I think of when he writes the Corinthian church, and this has been taken out of context before, but he's telling the Corinthian church collectively, he says, hey, Corinthian church, you have all the spiritual gifts. You have everything. But you're not doing anything with them. He's encouraging them to live them out, to operate um, in servitude to God. So likewise, hear what he's telling the Galatians. Hey, you understand grace, but you're not applying those principles. And thus far in Galatians, we haven't felt that thumb. We haven't felt that pressure of the thumb. What we felt, um, and we should continually feel the freedom, but Paul is still preaching freedom, but he's also saying, look, we still need to do better. Now, we don't like to be told that we need to do better, but how many of us need to be told we need to do better? We need that reminder. We need that accountability. We need that edification. And what Paul is saying here to the church is, just do better. And he has some strong words. Verse 9, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over and over again? So those in Galatia prior to this letter were walking in a relationship with God where they moved from the law into grace. So that's what was happening. They were once under the law. They were living by their standards of karma. They were living by their standards of, I can earn my way to heaven. But then Paul came through and he shared the life of Christ. They understood who Christ was. They walked in grace. And now he's saying, why do you want to return to that? See, those, yeah, those in Galatia prior to this letter were walking in a relationship with God where they moved from the law into grace. They were living and acting as sons and daughters. Not only were they acting as sons and daughters, but Paul says this, rather you are known by God. Now I ask you this, is it, is it better to know God or be known by God? Now, in my opinion, it's better to be known by God. Knowing God is important. We need to know God. We need to know about God. But many people know about God, correct? Many people now might not know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But many people know of God. Many people that you talk to say we serve God. Many people say that I grew up in the church and I understand some biblical principles. But knowing God pales in comparison to being known by God. Amen? Now, you say, well, why? Well, many people are going to think that they know God. Did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? See, these people who are participating in many powerful things, delivering demons, prophesying, and performing miracles. Those, those are some church things that some of us in this room have never participated in. And, you know, we always... In our nature, we put 
things on scales and we can, uh, we can pair them. And some of us just come to church every week. Some of us raise our hands once a year. Some of us um, tithe when we pass the plate. These people prophesied, performed miracles, and delivered demons. Far greater, I think, than some of, um, some of the other things. Nevertheless, Jesus says, plainly I tell you, I never knew you. So is it better to know God, or is it better to be known by God? It's better to be known by God. So what Paul is saying is, look, those in the Galatian, uh, Galatian church, they just didn't know God, but they were known by God. And those who are known by God can even turn their heart toward things that are not of God anymore. Once you give your life to Christ, it doesn't mean that you just automatically serve him. Because what Scripture tells us is we must pick up our cross and deny ourselves each day. Amen? And what was happening in the Galatian church is they weren't picking up their cro cross and denying themselves each day. What they ended up doing is they started to uh, receive teachings that their tickling ear or itching ears wanted to hear. So what they started to do is they started to um, worship self again and believe that they could earn their way to heaven. So what Paul says is God knew them. It appears that they had a relationship with him. Yet what I believe Paul is pointing to here is the fact that God knew them, meaning this, they didn't come to know God. God came to know them. God had to do the work. And just like God had to do the work for them to know him, God did the work for us to know him. Therefore, since God came to them, found them, and knows them, why in the world would they turn their back on their past uh, ways of following the tradition of the law? Since God came in and did a miraculous work in their life, why are they turning their back on that and turning back to the law? It makes no sense. Why would they return to slavery? Essentially, um, Paul is telling them that they are voluntarily re-enlisting into slavery. Why? Because if you want to live under the law, then you're judged by the law. And if you want to be judged by the law, how, were th how will that fare in front of a holy God? If I want to be judged by the law in front of a holy and perfect God, will it be pass or fail for me? Fail. I don't want to be judged by the law. What I want to be judged by is Jesus by the blood of Jesus over my life, through, by faith, in Christ. Amen? Amen. So we saying, why are you re-enlisting back into slavery? Why are you doing this? So, um, you uh, see, you and I do the same thing. We voluntarily go back to the, those things in our lives. We get delivered, then we slowly but surely start dabbling again. We dabble in gossip. We dabble in judgment. We dabble in poor attitude. We dabble in pride. We dabble in lust. We dabble in fibs. And then after we dabble in those things, we dabble in trying to earn our way back to God. Essentially, what we do is we turn back to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Now, look. I'm not looking for any deep confession here.
But how many of you guys messed up this week and then you started to recognize that you tried to earn your way back to God a little bit? Anyone participating, raising hands? It can happen to all of us. Now look, I'm not saying that you don't confess. I'm not saying you don't have a contrite heart towards God. I'm not saying you don't repent of your sins as you should. But this idea of trying to earn your way back is not it. But how were the Galatians, um, yeah, how were the Galatians, like, yeah, how were the Galatians turning back so bad that Paul had to rebuke them so strongly? Here's what he says. Uh, You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. So Paul saw that they were turning back to the, the, the laws, to the rules, and here's Here's what they were doing that made Paul aware. He said, you are observing the special days and the months and the seasons and the years. So the Galatians were watching the calendar again. Well, in old culture, old law culture, what they would do is they would pay attention to the calendar. The calendar meant a whole lot to them. So days uh, refer to observing of, of the Sabbath and its restrictions, Months referred to the new moon and its festivities. Seasons referred to the Jewish festivities in the spring and the fall. In year referred to the new year, the sabbatical year, and the jubilee yearly um, celebrations. So what Paul is saying is, look, I see you guys turning back to the calendar again. I see you turning back to the days, to the weeks, to the months, to the years. And what this is telling me is your heart has shifted from grace back to law again. Dabbling is dangerous. Amen? So they begin to dabble again. How many of you guys have ever dabbled and then got caught by dabbling? No one? Just a couple of you. Dabbling is dangerous. And Paul recognized the dabbling. Paul has already taught that though, um, already taught those in Galatia that observing and going back to the law for justification of sin doesn't suffice. Going back to the Jewish law and tradition is worthless when referencing righteousness. And these Uh, Rules, festivals, and laws all point to a form of slavery that Jesus defeated so that we can be one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit, and one with Jesus Christ. Amen? So we started to recognize the dabbling again. So he's rebuking them, quit dabbling. I'll remind you what Paul said in Colossians 2, 13 through 17. When you were dead in your sins, in in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what regard to a religious festival. Uh, festival. Festival. A new moon celebration or a 
Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So again, the emphasis, God has made us alive in Christ. We don't need to return to the old rules. So God forgave our sins. He canceled the charge against us. We are no longer condemned. Powers and authorities against us are disarmed because Jesus took it all away on the cross. Amen? And therefore, the adherence of these things were intended as a shadow of Christ. They served as a guardian. But once the real thing arrived, the shadow is no longer needed. So with Colossians plus Galatians, we should be seeing and agreeing with what one author concluded. He said this, in a sense, we can sin by observing the law too much in that our observance confuses the purpose of such things and causes immature believers to be confused over the law. We don't have the liberty to use our lives to testify to the wrong things. Living a testimony that the law has value and should be a part of our daily life is wrong. Paul says, and therefore it is sin. So sometimes we think that we can follow the law so perfectly that it becomes a sin. So Paul sees that they are not getting it, that those in Galatia keep on trying to go back to earning their way to heaven. So he becomes deeply burdened by their shortcomings. He becomes deeply burdened by their sin. And he says this in verse 11, I fear for you, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. That's deep, isn't it? That's a deep jab. That's a deep cut. That's a strong word. I fear for you that my efforts have gone wasted. Paul worked extremely hard to make sure that they understood who Jesus was. He never um, bought the idea of free grace meant laziness, entitlement, or anything else like that. Essentially, um, Paul was saddened that his effort might have gone to waste, that the message that he had preached fallen on deaf ears, that the message that he preached fell on rocky soil, that the message that he preached didn't want to, or didn't have feet of readiness to be obedient. He says, my message might have gone, my labor might have been wasted. And any of you who have children, I'm sure, have felt the idea of all the training and all the discipleship and all the discipline. There's been moments where you feel like everything that I poured into them has gone wasted. And Paul cared for the Galatian church in the same manner. So he's frustrated at the fact that the believers are not maturing. See, um, some people who have not studied the scripture 
might have thought that Paul was suggesting that these people were not Christians. Now, I don't believe that that's the case here. I don't think that Paul is saying, hey, I've wasted, I've wasted my efforts and you guys don't know Jesus and you're going to hell. I think what Paul is saying is, you're not, I've wasted my efforts. You're not walking in, in the freedom that you could be walking in. See, and the reason why I believe that is Paul has already shared in the first part of the Galatians that people come to faith based upon God, God's work and not our own doing. So those in Galatia couldn't earn their way to heaven. But in this same chapter, chapter 4, Paul will call them my children, and he will also call them children of the promise. So I do believe that he's still talking to a church that is saved. What I believe Paul is frustrated with is the fact that these believers are not maturing. He's frustrated that at the moment it seems as if his teachings are being wasted. So instead of living free, they are choosing to stay in bondage of the laws in the Old Testament. And what I don't exactly understand is how each day to walk in this freedom. See, it's, it's sometimes easier to understand it than to walk in it. Because what's going to happen is this week I'm going to fall short. And then my nature, my human nature is going to want to try to earn my way back to God. So the only way to combat it is by the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when I try to earn my way back to God this week, what am I going to preach to myself? Galatians 1 through 4, because we haven't got to 5 and 6 yet. <laughs> I'm going to preach myself Colossians. And I'm going to reiterate that I can't earn my way back to God. And, and what I've recognized over the past couple months, that as I've been studying and learning um, Galatians in a new way, is sometimes I just have to be at peace that I'm not good enough. And when I recognize that I'm not good enough and I can't earn my way back to God, that actually cause, gives me freedom to not want to sin anymore. Amen? There's a freedom found in understanding that I can't earn my way back to God. Because when I understand that I can't be good enough, it's like, what's the point of even, even trying? But when I understand that Christ who lives in me and pours his blood over me qualifies me, then I have a reason to live. Amen? So Paul, so Paul, who recognizes that those in Galatia are trying to go back that direction, here's what he says. He says, look, just repeat after me. Just follow me. Like, if you don't know what to do, if you're not doing it right, just follow my lead. Verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. Paul is not saying that he is someone that should be revered or looked up to. Because in multiple of Paul's teaching, he says, I am the worst of all sinners. Right? So he's not saying, look up to me because I am the peak of what someone should look like. What he's actually saying is you should act like him in the simple fact that he is a Jew who no longer keeps laws like the Jew. Right? Why? Because he's been set free by God's grace. He wants them to be steady in walking under God's grace. He wanted them to imitate his liberty. He wanted them to walk in the joy of the Lord that every believer should have. 
That's what he's asking them to repeat. Repeat my liberty. Don't, live, don't try to become holy by these over 600 laws and rules and regulations. Be set free from that and walk in a relationship with Christ. Just talk to him each day. Serve him. Obey him. Have a friendship with him. Live as a son. Don't think that you have to be legalistic, that you have to drive 10 and 2, that you have to drive five miles under the speed limit, that you have to come to every Bible study, every cell group, every small group, every community group. Now, that might be my rules, not God's rules, right? Nobody? Come on. Only Dave smiled. We don't have to be legalistic that way anymore. We are set free from legalism. Amen? So Paul's saying, just, just repeat after me. Follow, follow me in the liberties that I'm walking in. I was a Jew. I identify as a Jew. But I've been set free in Christ, so I no longer have to live into the legalism of all of these things. And one of the things that ends up happening is legalism. Legalism catches up with us. And legalism destroys our relationship with Christ. And someone recently here at the church said, hey, um, well, it, was, uh, it doesn't matter. Karenina, Karen, so, so some people got sick who were supposed to volunteer in kids' ministry, and they were sick, and then the next people who were supposed to serve, they were also sick, and Karenina and the family uh, were camping like an hour away. So she texted me. She said, here's what's going on. What am I supposed to do? And um, this person's sick, and then this person's sick. And she said, I will come back an hour from camping to help serve in kids' ministry, or we can make this thing happen. And I said, everything's fine, smiley face. We'll go with plan C. And plan C is everything will be okay. And I because I put, like, seriously, everything is okay, smiley face. I don't think that she, like, it was just texting. I didn't think that she thought I was serious because there's this legalistic perspective within all of us of, like, I'm going to have to be back. So then she called me and she said, hey, I just have to hear your voice to make sure that you weren't lying, <laughs> right? Like, I, because texting is hard to interpret. And I said, Karenina, look, when we start doing these types of things, we become legalistic. And when we, when we become legalistic about these things, that's when our hearts grow cold. Amen? There's freedom in Christ. And you don't have to, out of legalism, leave your family because then Jonathan's going to have to take care of all the kids and then you're going to have family problems. So I, I, I had to pick and choose which problem I wanted them to have. And the problem that I wanted them to have is to wrestle with legalism. Wrestle with God. Be set free from that obligation. See, all of us live in that legalistic perspective. And Paul is saying, live in liberty. Now look, again, grace and liberty doesn't encourage you to go sin. Grace and liberty in its truest sense, sets you free to not want to sin any longer. Amen? So if you feel like grace is encouraging you or that the pastor is encouraging you to go live however you want, you're still missing the heart of grace. Amen? 
So we need to keep on wrestling through that. So Paul's saying, follow me, imitate me. So I have to ask the question, if Paul's saying to live into liberty and grace, why are you so driven by accomplishment? Mow the grass, clean the deck, get the promotion, make this much money, have this much in my 401k. Why are we so driven by accomplishment? It might be because we are walking in works or karma. It might be because we're walking in the elemental forces of the world. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't accomplish or that we shouldn't be driven or that we shouldn't be hard workers. But the liberty of Christ is following him and trusting him each day. So not only does Paul say, become like me, but he also says this, he became like them. What Paul means by this is he was, he willingly walked, is, well, he said like two things, right? I think there's two meanings to this. Number one is he willingly walked in the Gentile lifestyle while living in Galatia. So he was becoming all things for all people so that some might come to Christ. Paul also adds that he became like them because I believe it means that he willingly walked, um, yeah, in the Gentile lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. So the other reason that I think that Paul addresses this is he says, look, I became like you because he said, I could relate to the things that you are walking in right now. I lived this lifestyle of trying to follow rules. Remember, Paul followed rules so much of his Jewish lifestyle that he hunted and sought out those of the way, right? And the way was Christianity, those who were following Jesus. He hunted and sought them out to kill them and separate them from their families. He was the Jew, uh, Jew of all Jews. He understood all of the Old Testament. His whole life was devoted to becoming um, a Jew. So Paul understood what it meant to follow the rules. So he's saying, look, I became like you, so I understand what you're going through. I can relate to it. And you know what's really good is hearing something from someone who's been through something similar. There's empathy there's credibility to that, amen? So Paul is trying to tell them, look, I'm not just telling you to do something that I haven't done. I'm not asking you to walk in freedoms of something that I didn't used to walk in bondage to. So Paul understood the idea of spending his whole life trying to work his way to God. So Paul says, I became like you, and I realized that um, that was nothing and I was headed in the wrong direction. It was all a dead end. Pursuing the rules and pursuing the laws as he became like them was nothing but a dead end. So that's interesting to me. I'm learning now. I'll be uh, 34 um, Thursday. And the older that I get, not old, right, but the older that I get, um, what I realize is the words of those who have gone before you are paramount. How much different will my life look like if I listen to my parents' encouragement at age five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and coaches and teachers 
and other people who, pastors and people who poured into your life, how much different with, would my life look now if I just would have said, yes, I believe you and I'll trust you? So now at this age, I say, yes, I consider the words of those who have gone before me, who have more experience, who have more wisdom, and you just eat that stuff up. Well, here, Paul, Paul is someone we should be eating these words up. Amen? We should be living into the things that he's calling us to. So he's saying, hey, look, become like me because I was like you. Walk into these freedoms. So what's unique is um, after Paul's strong rebuke to those in Galatia, I'm afraid that my words have fell on deaf ears, that you guys are not going to change. He then says this, but in spite of the strong rebuke, in spite of me coming there, he says this, you did me no wrong. See, there was a chance that they thought that he was simply offended by them. So Paul says this wasn't the case with them. Like, you weren't I wasn't offended, you weren't offended, you did me no wrong. Yet what's interesting is while preaching to them in Galatia, he was dealing with a sickness. Verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? What Paul is saying is his illness was the reason that he stopped at the church of Galatia. So when we start asking the who, what, when, where, whys, this would be something to study for all of us. Why, who, what, when, where? We're not going to go there today. But um, certainly something that I have questions on. But what, yeah, Paul is saying the reason why he stopped at this church was because of his illness. So what was his illness? Only one could guess. The Bible isn't explicitly clear at this moment. Was it an eye problem? Was it depression? Was it the thorn in his flesh? We are not sure exactly. What Paul is getting at, though, is even though he was a mess at that time, that his sickness, that whatever was going on with him, it was a burden to them. And they still received him well. So much so that they might have been willing to pluck out their own eyes for him. So this might suggest that Paul was having an eye problem. So I want to take you into my world just for a minute. Um, my who, what, when, where, why has nothing to do with this sermon, just as I try to discover more about who, who God is. Paul, at the Damascus Road experience, he was what? Blinded. So he was blinded there, and now he's having problems which appear to potentially be an eye problem that God was using. And that's as far as I want to take my hypothesis. I, we clearly know that God did the blinding in that moment, and then God brought the healing three days later, but also it's still something that he's carrying. 
So is this God working this eye problem together, or is this a completely different eye problem? I don't know, but I, we need, uh, those who seek me will find me when they seek me with my whole heart. And God desires us to seek out his scriptures. So I personally am going to be seeking out more of this because I see God in an eye problem, healing an eye problem, Paul maintaining an eye problem, and then God using the eye problem. Something I want to seek, seek after to understand. Nevertheless, what Paul is getting at is even though he was a mess, they received him well. Uh, they were even willing to give up their own eyes for him. But the point that Paul was making, was um, making here, more dealt with the fact that the Galatians did not reject him. Remember, Paul is fighting against a culture that, that says you get what you deserve. Remember earlier in the sermon we said we were teaching about karma. Do not touch, do not taste, do not, um, do not do these things because when you do these things, you get what you deserve. So now Paul comes with some kind of significant problem that he says was a significant burden to them. And in that culture, you get what you deserve. So essentially what they're saying is... Um, so in theory, they would have believed that Paul was a great sinner and he was paying for his mistakes. Why? Because he had a significant problem. And karma says you get what you deserve. And Paul was fighting against that attitude, but yet in spite of that, they were still receiving him. See, when Paul first traveled through, they received his message and they re responded to God's grace and love. So they were responding to Paul in spite of his sickness, where the rest of the culture would have said, stay away from me, you sinner. You're getting what you deserve, and we don't want that juju. So Paul ends this section to remind them that he isn't their enemy for telling them God's truth. But then in the coming verses, he shares that there are people who are coming against him. They are trying to make him into the enemy. So as we wrap up the last section, verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over. Um, what I've recognized is it's not my job to win people over. Uh, Macy and I have found myself at many um, things out in public, whether it be a football game, basketball game, track event, graduation party, and God always seems to come up. And when God comes up, then people shake their hand or shake my hand, and they say, what time are your services on Sunday? And I say, look, um, it's not about you coming to church on Sunday. I'm better one-on-one -on -one than I am teaching or preaching. So if you think that you're going to get, if you think that you're going to get this up there, it's going to look a whole lot different. And um, I guess my point in that is we don't oversell the church. We're not zealous to get people to come uh, just join as a member. We want people to know Christ and to know him intimately. And then Macy tells me, you probably sell yourself too short sometimes. So she puts her thumb down on me, right? So, which is also needed. But what's happening here is what Paul is telling um, those in Galatia is there are people who are zealous to win you over, but not for good. 
So these people are trying to sell you maybe a prosperity gospel. These people are trying to sell you a works gospel. These, try, these people are trying to lead you in a direction of Christ that is not good. Essentially, wolves in sheep's clothing. What they want is debt. Uh, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, uh, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. He just keeps on re reiterating, I am perplexed that you're going back to works. So in verse 17, Paul points out the true motives of the Judaizers. Paul says that these men are seeking, are seeking the church, but not with the right motives. That they are trying to win them over to their point of view rather than Christ's. But it wasn't commendable because their motives weren't honest and righteous. Paul says that they want to shut um, the Galatians out so that they can seek after the Judaizers. I see this with um, the Mormons. You know, the Mormons um, come out in twos and they knock on your doors. And several years ago, the Mormons would come knock on our doors regularly. And I often look forward to it. I would challenge them um, in their ideology um, so much that one day while I was challenging them, what they ended up saying is one boy was receiving it. You could feel it, right? The other boy was like the ringleader. And he kept on saying, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. No, that's not true. And the other one wanted to hear more and more and more. And then finally he said, hey, we have to leave. So he just grabbed him and he walked off the porch and they never came knocking again. It was a double win, right? Like <laughs> preach Jesus and they never knock on your door again. Um, you just eat your lunch and then you get that door knock and the dog goes off. And the only way to shut the dog up is to go talk to the person. So what Paul is saying, you know, kind of like them is, the Judaizers, is the Judaizers were trying to create their own sect. They wanted to completely be independent. They didn't want any outside influence into their cult. Likewise, with the Mormon culture, what ends up happening is they don't want any outside influence. They were trying to create this protected um, society by which it's their rules. Any of you guys ever seen the movie The Village? One. Two, in this idea of the village, they just have this secret society where they teach everyone that if you leave the village, there's these monsters that will kill you. And essentially, at the end of the movie, someone escapes, and they realize that the village is just out in the woods, and there's a highway, and there's society going on. So the Judaizers don't want any influence. They're trying to create Paul into being the enemy so that his uh, teaching of Jesus doesn't infiltrate them. Right? You guys are with that. So one author says this, the, Jude the Judaizers wanted to exclude the Galatians so that then the Galatians would seek after them. So they wanted to kick them out so that they would just pursue them and come to their church and follow them and give them tithes and whatever else. See, the true motivation for the Judaizers, and 
imposing the law and the obscurity of the Jewish practice, customs, and regulations upon the Gentiles was a matter of power. They wanted power. Knowledge is power, and these men were interested in honor and power. They knew that by teaching the law, that the law was required, they could set themselves up as Pharisees over the church. Then those in the church would feel a need to seek after them for access to wisdom and approval. Of course, these men would not give up their secrets and approval easily, right? And that's where the opportunity to obtain power and control came from. So the Judaizers are trying to create this system by which they become the authority and the rules. And the only way to do that is if they create a law system by which you have to follow. But if Paul's preaching liberty and freedom and we don't have to follow these rules, then we don't have authority over you. We see a lot of that happening within the political system today. Amen? We want power so that we can have rules. And if you guys, and if we can't change the rules, then you guys can have your liberties. And if you guys have your liberties, then you get to have your freedoms. Does anyone else see that happening? Or am I, or am I just a conspiracy theorist? So the Judaizers are trying to obtain power here. See, this is important to see because this will help us fight against legalism and those who propagate it in the church. We do not propagate legalism within this church. The author continues to say this, those pushing rules, regulations, and the like on the church are seeking control through power and knowledge. How many Hail Marys? Or how many volunteer hours? Or how many confessions to the Father? That's power. Those who are pushing rules and regulations and the like are seeking control through the power of knowledge. And for any who have bought into such thing, it's very hard to ever let go of that false teaching. Because in doing so, it renders all of our work and effort to amass the knowledge of uselessness. We would first have to admit that our pursuit of knowledge and our conformance to the rules was a wasted effort. It's a matter of pride, and it's tough to back away from such a pattern. That's what makes legalism in any form so dangerous in the church. Legalism is dangerous within the church. In contrast to the Judaizers, Paul says that he has sought after the Galatians in a commendable fashion. So he hasn't sought to gain power. He hasn't sought to gain money. He hasn't sought to gain um, a position of authority. Paul has sought them in a commendable fashion. Paul had pure motives and intentions, and he spoke with the truth. Paul sought after them first for the sake of their salvation. And then he sought for their maturity in faith. And now he seeks for their benefit from a distance. He says in verse, um, yeah, he says. So Paul says in verse 19 that he knows um, he is again laboring for them. The term for labor, labor, laboring literally means giving birth again. 
So Paul is saying that he is willing to endure the painful birth process a second time for their sake if it means bringing Christ to develop inside of them. He is working to rescue them from the clutches of those false teachers. And he, it, he wishes he could be in their presence to make the case in person. Furthermore, he wishes he could speak in a better tone. Although he has already called them foolish, and now he says he's perplexed by their behavior. So Paul saying, I would do this all over again and again and again for you guys to find the freedom in Christ and not walk in a legalistic perspective. So as we wrap up right here, this section of Galatians 4, 12 through 20, shows us the principles for the attitude of believers. The attitude that believers should have towards people in the world and in the church today. And I'm going to wrap it up for you guys with these next four points. But these eight verses show us the idea that you and I should walk in. Number one, we must be willing to serve and make sacrifices for God's people. Number two, we must be willing to speak God's truth. Number three, we must be willing to love his people sincerely without our gain in mind. Number four, we must be willing to desire to shape Jesus in them, not our agenda in them. And number five, we'll add it right now, it's all about God's grace, not our works. Amen? Father, pray that we wouldn't be legalistic, that those areas where we walk in legalism this week, that you would reveal them to us. Those ideas where we walk in karma, where we think that um, under your laws we get what we deserve. No, because of Jesus, Father, we don't get what we deserve. We get to inherit eternal life with Christ. Father, I pray that because of your grace, the liberties that we choose to take is to walk full of the Spirit. The liberties that we choose to take is um, loving one another. The liberties we choose to take is running from sin. Father, may we not be like the Judaizers and um, subconsciously live under karma. Pray that you would bless this food. Pray that you would bless the offering to the kids, to the uh, young adults now, actually, that have graduated. And we just thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.